The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
I bet you can hear me now. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. I am Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of this community, and I am joined in ministry with Laura Shenham, who's going to be leading our story today, and also on the chancel by Carmen Barsodi, who's our worship associate, and the entire team who makes worship possible, who are listed in your program, from the flowers that Judy Payne brought to life on our chancel and pumpkins to remind us of the season to our AV team who is bringing worship to our live stream community. Gregory is on chat to answer your questions in case you have any. We have our glorious choir in the choir loft, so the sound will wash over us like angelic voices from some mysterious place led by Mark Sumner and, of course, Reiko Odelaine, bringing us into worship and taking us out with her extraordinary work on the organ. Thanks to everybody, to those who prepared our building, our fantastic custodial team, and our ushers, and people who've already made incredible programs asking the big questions about life possible already here this Sunday morning. Emerson once said that our charge was to offer life passed through the fire of thought. It's one of the many reasons and ways in which we gather to bring all that's heavy in our hearts these days, to pass life through the fire of thought as we try to live lives of worth and meaning and joy. So welcome. Welcome, everybody. Our offering this morning will be for an organization called Simple Heart, but you will hear more about why we are taking that offering um, in our announcements shared by Jordan. So welcome to worship. Those of you who are taking extra precautions, please feel free to wear your masks. There is also a, a mask-free section on the side. Let's begin our worship together as we say our words of our chalice lighting. They're printed in your order of service. Let's say them together. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. Part of what is infusing today's service, which is about the body and its role in our spiritual and religious lives, I mean, not all of it, but at least a glimpse and a little bit of a conversation about it, is the ways in which our bodies can be metaphors for the divine. So this him is a brilliant exploration, at least one person's version of this, and I invite you to rise as you're able in body and spirit as we sing it together. Hymn number 23, Bring Many Names.
Good morning. I'm Galen Workman. I'm a member of the Board of Trustees. If this is your first time joining us in person or watching on live stream, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to receive a copy of our weekly newsletter, which includes a link to the order of service and the Sunday live stream, you can fill out one of our yellow connection forms. Those forms are in the welcome table out front, in this, perhaps in the pew in front of you, and available through the order of the service link online. The order of service does list a lot of upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect. Please engage in any of all that are of interest to you. And we have a couple of urgent notices and information that I want to invite people up to talk about. Jordan, would you come up and help? Thank you, Galen. Uh, good morning, everyone. I will try to keep this brief, as I know we have lots on the agenda. Um, I come to you today with the sad news that Wayne Chung, activist, lawyer, beloved member of our animal rights ministry, was convicted by a jury on Friday for the crime of rescuing sick and dying animals from factory farms in Sonoma County. He is currently sitting in jail without bail, awaiting sentencing that could result in up to three years in prison. This is heavy news to say the least. And I'm here to tell you that myself, members of the Animal Rights Ministry and other members of UUSF feel that it is unjust that Wayne be punished for rescuing animals as one would legally rescue a dog locked in a hot car. So with that said, if you would like to participate in the social media campaign to bring light to the injustice done to a member of our congregation, please go to simpleheart.org action as listed in your order of service. And if you would like to um, need assistance participating in the campaign, we'll have the co-founder of Simple Heart, Dean, uh, taking pictures uh, to participate for anyone that would like to participate in the hashtag prosecute this campaign. Uh, he shall be in the courtyard uh, after service to take photos. Please feel free to speak with him, Sarah Elliman, or myself if you, you would like to know more about how Wayne is doing and how to help. Oh, there he is, Dean. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but uh, above all, the most important show of support uh, will be during his sentencing hearing on November 30th. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jordan. We have another urgent message. Please come up, Judy Strand. In case you're worrying, because I took my mask off. I have a cold, not COVID. Um, I reached out, we recently reached out to Bill at Up On Top, the, the women's group did, and said, how can we help you? And he said, your timing is perfect. The S San Francisco School District had just announced that they were closing schools for the week of Thanksgiving. The children, the families, of the, the children of the families in Up On Top get a half to a third, two-thirds of their nutrition daily from the school district or from up on top. With the school district closed, up on top is closed. 
They want to give a grocery bag to each of their 60 families to help tide them over for Thanksgiving. And so you should find in your order of service this announcement, it's an insert, and it's got a grocery list here. We don't expect everyone to bring a whole bag, but we do hope that you bring a bag. It should be shelf-stable, uh, unopened packages of food to help our Up On Top families get through Thanksgiving week. Uh, up On Top is providing, has gotten half turkey breasts, so we don't need to provide anything like that. It has to be shelf-stable, non-refrigerated things that we put in our bag. And we need it by a week from Tuesday. So on the 15th, I think it is, something next, next a week from two days from now. So thank you. Thank you, and those are urgent needs, and apologize for the extra time it takes, but it's very important. Now, I am dressed up in Christmassy red, in a red shirt in honor of the holiday fair, which is only four weeks away on December 3rd. So look for the fair table in the gallery after the services today to find out all about it. Then next Sunday, November 12th, the Holiday Fair Committee will meet after the services in the Kincaid Room, and you're invited to join the group. Also next Sunday, something I'm going to go do, after the service, many of us are going on a uh, open-door legal prayer walk, and that will be after the service, and details on that are also in the order of service. And finally, I want to extend a special invitation for those of you who are checking us out. Please come to the newcomer orientation in the fireside room after the service. Get a cup of coffee. If you need directions on where the fireside room is, ask somebody with a name tag, and we'll just come out and find out more about us. Please do that. And those are the extraordinary items I wanted to call your attention to. But before we pause and greet one another, I want to give a special invitation to those of you on YouTube, live stream, to participate in the greetings on chat. Maybe say hi and shout out your favorite item you've purchased at the, ha uh, the past holiday fair. Or maybe just share your top holiday fantasy. And now, on live stream and in person, let's take a moment to greet one another.
Our story this morning was written by our senior minister, so. And it's called Sam the Magician and Choosing a Body. Once upon a time, there was a child created by a magician and brought into the world fully formed at the age of eight. Their name, I know, suspend reality, it's okay. Their name was Sam. The magician made it clear that magicians had lots of things that were calling them to do. So they would have to leave the child to find their own way. But first the magician had to impart a little quick information. Child, he said, I've made you, but I also want you to have some say in how you walk through the world. I made some quick choices in the book of bodies. I picked your nose and these eyes and a set of legs and toes and fingers and so on. And there were some things I didn't quite understand, so I passed on those questions. And some things I doubled down on. Anyhow, I did get a warranty that allows you to change a few things, but you only have 48 hours to do so. And I lost the manual, so you'll have to figure it out, all the options on your own. But I have downloaded a basic eight-year-old intelligence and knowledge. So you should have that. Bye. <laughs> and with that, the perky but slightly frenetic magician went off into the world, leaving the child a bit bewildered, but with a sense of urgency too, which isn't necessarily the best combination. Still, Sam figured they understood what needed to be done. Test this body, make changes if, he needed, if they needed to. Early on, Sam figured out that changes had unintended consequences and trade-offs. For instance, Sam felt hunger and saw what they knew to be an apple tree. So Sam used those arms and legs and crawled up and got an apple. Sam was pretty flexible when, he, when they went up Sam wondered at the next tree what it would be like if they had stronger legs and arms. So they activated a few changes and found that being stronger felt good. But it also made climbing that tree a little bit harder. Maybe body was a little bit bigger, a little less flexible. But it was clear Sam would have to choose what to take and what to give up in that regard. Sam also thought it would be really cool to be tall so they could just reach the apple off the tree. That was exciting. But later when they came down and started hitting their head on the branches every time they walked by a tree, their eight-foot frame was a liability. And there too, Sam had to make a trade-off. Sam saw farther in the distance being so tall, but they also didn't see the roots and the rocks and the things that made them trip and fall and get hurt. Again, trade-offs were to be made. Along the way, on the second day, Sam also met another child. This child was a little different. He was a boy, and it turned out Sam was a girl. That eight-year-old intelligence came in handy. Sam was curious here too and asked to be a boy to see what it felt like and with the warranty still active, things happened. And it was different. Not just the body parts, 
but some of how she, now he, felt. Sam realized here, too, there was a choice to be made. Which body, which way of feeling in their body felt most comfortable? And there were options. So over the next 24 hours, Sam tested them out. Finally, as the end of the second day started to ebb into a crowd, Sam went. Everyone was talking, but Sam couldn't make it all out. Sam kept saying, what? Huh? What? And finally, one of the people in the group said, your hearing isn't so good. And Sam figured out they were right. Maybe that was the one place the magician didn't understand the options. And, and just as Sam was about to wish for a change, another child came over and introduced herself. She said she also didn't have great hearing and pointed to a device in her ears that helped her a little. Sam could see that the girl felt happier having Sam there, the two of them facing the same thing. And so in that moment, Sam decided to leave that body part just as it was. Life was always, they were learning, a trade-off. Each piece of who we are opening doors, connecting us to certain people, teaching us, to something, teaching us something about ourselves, shaping us, making things more possible, some things less. In the end, after all the changes and trade-offs Sam made before the warranty ran out, Sam pretty much came back to the body that the magician had given them. Not that the other options weren't also gorgeous and fun. To this day, when Sam sees someone eight feet tall, they remember how great it felt to be that tall and reach those highest fruits and how they got those scars on their knees. And when someone very strong walks by, Sam remembers how fun it felt to be that strong, but also what other gifts their body has just as it is. And Sam hopes that everyone feels the same way, no matter what the magician gave them. So in this world that needs service and prayer, and our great covenant, let us read together the words in unison. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
So I came into this world with a healthy body, so healthy that when I was a few months old, my father sat me in a cardboard box that was labeled pure lard, printed in bold letters on the side. I know there were lots of chuckles, and there still are when we come across the photo. Yet, having my body structure be a source of joking from a very young age in a world obsessed with body image resulted in a kind of love-hate relationship with myself. On one level, I liked my strong body. In grade school, the fact that I could kick the red rubber kickball over the roof of the apartment building at the edge of the playground meant that I was one of the first kids picked for the team at recess. When we bailed hay in the summertime, I could challenge my siblings and neighbors on who could throw the bale highest on the wagon as the tractor was pulling it down the field. And my grandmother appreciated the fact that I had large hands, so she would take me picking cranberries in the cranberry bog, and then I could help her carry the full pails back to her house. My body served me well and others. And yet this very body, whose strength and abilities I enjoyed, was also the source of much teasing and many tears. The other girls in my class who didn't get picked first for kickball would tease me. I was larger than most of them, and my body developed earlier than theirs. And some days, the teasing felt so relentless that I would hide in the corner behind the boiler room during recess. I, too, began to put myself down silently and often out loud, making jokes about my body with the hope that I would beat others to the punch. If I did it first, Maybe the sting of others doing it wouldn't hurt so bad. That tactic didn't really serve me well, as my negative voices remained long after the voices of others moved on. As I lived with Kay Jorgensen, my friend and co-founder of Faithful Fools, through the slow, debilitating process of Parkinson's disease, and I grieved the rapid decline of our close friend and fool, Jackie Hyder, who died two weeks ago from ALS. I do not take my health nor my physical ability for granted. And ultimately, I don't take life for granted. I haven't really thought much about my body as a significant part of my spirituality, and yet, the reality is that my relationship to my body, often through the via negativa, has been central to my journey toward freedom and wholeness. And most importantly, appreciation and gratitude for the amazing miracle of bodies, no matter their shape or size or varying abilities. I don't know what I will yet experience. Still, I will go forward with the words of Ram Das, 
who said, take every experience, including the negative ones, as merely steps on the path and proceed. I want to invite us to bring ourselves fully to this space and this time. Feel our feet on the ground and the pew back or the sofa back if you're at home, holding you up, gravity grounding you. Breathe in deep. Release breath. And breathe again.
borrowing some of the words from poet Ellen Bass in her poem, To Praise. We begin our prayer and meditation today. The poet writes, I want to praise bodies, nerves and synapses, the impulse that travels the spine like a fish darting. I want to praise hands, those architects that create us anew, fingers, cartographers revealing who we can become, and palms, cupped priestesses worshiping. I want to praise muscle and the heart, the flamboyant champion with its insistent pelting like tropical rain. I want to praise the face engraved like a riverbed. It breaks like morning. We too want to praise we poets of flesh and blood here. Praise this body costume we were sent wearing into this world and have grown with and into and stretched and been limited by to behold it as if for the very first time the way the awakened soul must learn to see everything again and again to stay awake to what it means and what it asks of us and what it tells and teaches us too. So we bow down, we poets and praisers of the body, get on bended knee, offer interior prostrations to this intricate weave of bone and muscle and organ and chemical and the wonder of it all. We give thanks for the healing that's happening right now, sometimes slower than we'd like, but a body working overtime whenever it must to knit back its parts into wholeness. For the possibilities we have this moment even, and despite the limits that are real, some of which gall or plague us. For all we can do and can feel and can taste, muscles that can lift and bones that are still strong, that hold us up, and the power and the privilege of it all. And we pray that those who are struggling with pain may find relief. And those of us struggling with something we cannot do, that we find a way to do what we must and help along the way. And for those of us facing uncertainty related to our bodies or our health, that we receive clarity and a way to chart life forward. And we give thanks for it all, 
for the miracle and necessity of this body. I invite us into a moment of silence, a private gratitude for our own bodies, what we want to call to our own attention, or for prayers, for petitions on behalf of our own selves, and fleshed as we are. Let's enjoy and surrender to this time of silence together. Where the prayers of petition uttered in shared silence, we pray too for what is needed. And for all that is named in the silence and gratitude, we too give thanks. And for the whole of life and the ability to stay awake to it all, lest any of what we need to hold up among ourselves, go unspoken. Amen. The offering will now be taken and gratefully received for Simple Heart which focuses on rescuing animals from abuse. Thank you for your generosity.
When I was little, my grandmother, who would take me to her Southern Baptist church in the dusty town, when it was a dusty town of Hobbs, New Mexico, imparted a few key pieces of wisdom. Prayer before bed, the love of Jesus and God and their omnipresent loving presence in my life, which though I have interpreted differently at different times, still is something I feel pervasive in the universe, that presence and love. And this, her reminder to me, I'm not remembering under what context or circumstances, her reminder, your body is a temple, Vanessa. Your body is a temple, she would say, and I'm not sure exactly what she meant because she never unpacked it, but I think she tried to show me. Other than smoking, Marie treated her body with respect. My husband has this saying, he says, if you know only one thing, a way to give one example of a person or a reality or a truth by just giving one paradigmatic example, that encapsulates a larger truth or pattern. And I would say, if you only know one thing in this regard about body and temple, about Marie, it would be this, this ritual she did every single night. As the last thing before going to bed, she would sit on the edge of her comforter. It always reminded me a bit of that story of Jesus and the woman who insists on washing his feet in her hair and in perfume. Much with that centered presence, she would sit quietly and take out, I remember, this tub of fragrant cream and take her foot out of its slipper, each one separately, and cup some cream and gently, carefully massage it in a full minute of intimate self-care. And somehow, someone who did that for their feet, I knew instinctively, was someone who cared for life intimately. And for me, too. Our bodies, as we've already talked about this morning, they're so gorgeous and we are so complicated. Our relationship to them is so sweet and also so fraught and layered due to so many circumstances and cultural complications. Like Carmen's joy in her ability to kick that red ball, and I know exactly that red ball that you're talking about. And it was a joy, and to play sports as a child, if you did, that body with all of its gorgeous abilities was diminished by others, by that age-old human need to judge and to make ladders and put some bits lower on the rungs and some bits higher up, divide us against ourselves and each other in the most ordinary and horrible of ways. But what Sam in the story knows is that each reality has its different invitations and its limits, even if we didn't participate in the magician's 48 hours of choice. But there's something in all of this, something too, in a conversation about our bodies that I 
want to invite us to something that feels missing in the analysis of culture, as important as it is, something deeper. Most religions have something to say about our bodies as part of our religious and spiritual journeys. Naomi Remen, in her book, My Grandfather's Blessings, talks about her grandfather, a student of the Kabbalah, the mystical teachings of Judaism, Remen's grandfather, and his Kabbalah taught him that, quote, at some point in the beginning of things, the holy was broken up into countless sparks which were scattered throughout the universe. There is a God spark in everyone and everything, a sort of diaspora of goodness. And one is encouraged to acknowledge such unexpected meetings with the holy by saying a blessing. Remen's grandfather therefore said a blessing for almost everything in his day, apparently. Blessings, she writes, that were, quote, prescribed by generations of great teaching rabbis, and each is considered to be a moment of mindfulness. They include blessings like the first time you encounter something, when he says the first time he encounters his grandchild, but also over food, every meal that you eat, when you wash your hands, and even the humblest of bodily functions has its own blessing. Blessings, even over the humblest of bodily functions, because they say it too is a spark in this diaspora of goodness. That makes sense to me in the Judaism that I understood and have studied at least some of the threads of the relationship to body in that religious tradition. God who created all things tov, good. Sabbath, this day that if anything is about in this deepest beautiful way a treasuring and honoring of the body, a day when rest is holy, a day when eating but not cooking is holy, when sex with your partner is a mitzvah, a blessing, the body as a blessing. Islam, too, emphasizes respect for the body as a gift from Allah. That tradition teaches that the body is not something that you own, not something to do with as you want, a possession, but something to care for a precious loan from God to be returned to your creator upon death. Human well-being, the physical well-being of all living things is your obligation to tend to, and part of Judgment Day in that tradition will include standing and being accountable for how we have treated our bodies and cared for the bodies of others. Would Wayne be in jail right now if we all demanded that this be the rule of law, this standard of care for bodies? But somewhere, somewhere at some point in Christianity's development, religion takes a detour. I am not nearly enough of a scholar, though I actually have a lot of books on this subject, and if anyone would like to read them and give me a summary, I would greatly appreciate it. 
because I find it fascinating and important, but a thread that gets woven into the teachings of the church at some point is that the body is suspect, that it's lower, that it pulls us down, that it's dangerous, that it's to be subjugated and feared and ignored. Some of that distrust of the body, some scholars of the church credit to St. Augustine of Hippo, who was, a Manichaean before he converted to Christianity. Manichaeism being a third century of the common era religious movement that believed that the world was dualistic, good and bad, at war with each other, the material being dangerous and evil. I acknowledge the appeal of that. It's the way the world can feel sometimes, lately. The battle of good and evil, especially when we feel threatened or afraid, but not about ourselves. Life, this life is nuanced and layered, in my opinion. One can see where the holdovers of Manichaeism, though, where they might show up as a Christianity that steps out of this man's life where the body is dangerous. And if you add to that, to that history of a philosophy that had him as one of its top uh, converts before his conversion, if you add to it this man's mother, Monica, who was probably the worst of the helicopter and invasive mothers, who followed him around all over his ministries, and when he fell in love, forced him to leave aside the woman he loved, you can only imagine what the person's notion of sexuality and women, how complicated and dangerous it all starts to feel, and all those feelings of body mediated through body, how complicated they get. But clearly we can't lay it all at one person's feet, and I don't know the scholarship of how prayers to bless the humblest of bodily functions and Sabbath that blessed sex as good, not just necessary, for fruitful multiplying, how it all got morphed into horsehair shirts and mortifications of the flesh. But it all seems horribly misguided and something that still precipitates and endures in our own culture. I have never viewed the body as dangerous. Maybe I have my grandmother to thank for that, my parents. I've never seen the body as something to be reviled. The loving God that I knew was the God who gave us this tremendous gift, this miracle. Eyes, think about it, just the eyes sometimes I think it's astounding in its construction, in its capacities. Or the immune system, those wild macrophages. Whenever I read about them, I'm amazed at these pieces of us that are chasing, chasing down the threats and sacrificing them to engulf our enemies. All of it seems so fantastical and true. And it's us. It's in us and it's us. And there's so much more that's astounding to me. Years ago, I traveled to Peru with my family. Up high in the Andes, we spent a night, as most people do, who travel to the region in Cusco. 
Cusco is 11,200 feet above sea level. I read about altitude sickness, that it was a risk on this trip before I left, and that in Cusco in particular, you could expect it. To be honest, I was sure that someone would get sick. I was just sure it wouldn't be me. I was the one who worked out regularly after all, so I smugly prepared to take care of my husband and daughter with their illness, and I brought a book to read for the days I would be stuck in the hotel taking care of them, but it was me as the only person who got the nausea and the headaches and the dizziness and the weakness of this altitude sickness. The local cure, coca tea, made from the coca leaves, the same plant, I guess, that is responsible for cocaine. It worked a little, no normal headache painkillers did. But all day it was rough to try and be out and keeping up even a little. And at night, it was horrible. Because you know at night when we sleep, our respiration slows down, our breathing naturally, right? Our heart rate slows. Well, at high altitudes, of course, the reason that you and I feel lousy, if we are unlucky enough to feel lousy, is that the air is less dense and there's less oxygen. So you feel bad because you aren't getting enough oxygen, the amount all your systems are used to. But if you put together these pieces of the slowing respiration and the lower levels of ox oxygen, then that means that there you are, exhausted and sick and weak. And when you fall asleep, your breathing slows down and you get even less oxygen, which means that you literally start suffocating and you wake up <gasps> gasping for air just as you drift off, which I will attest is a form of natural torture at high altitude. Well, unable to sleep, the first night that we were in Cusco, I did the only thing I could think of. I started to read every guidebook, everything online I could find about anything I could do to intervene to try and make this better. I read all about what happens to your body at high altitudes, how your body will immediately send messages to your bone marrow to produce more red blood cells so that more oxygen can be captured and circulated, but how it takes four to six weeks for that set of new red... So that's bad news when you're there for a week, right? But I also read in the guidebooks that you should expect to feel better in one to two days. So how in the world did that make sense? Well, I found some Wikipedia article about what happens to your body at high altitudes. There are literally thousands of micro-adjustments that your body does under those circumstances. A thousand changes to cut down on your oxygen use, to slow down the amount of energy you need. Digestion slows down. At a cellular level, adjustments are being made down to changes in the way the mitochondria in a cell will work. Everything in this fleshy temple pitching in to try and find a way to get us functional again. I was reading at night about all of them, all these thousands of micro-adjustments that happen, that mean in a day or two, mostly, you're up and doing your average business, the headache under control, 11,000 feet in the air. 
and all of us generally oblivious to the miraculous teamwork going on inside us to make that possible. I sat there at four in the morning high, probably on coca tea, in a hotel room, still with a horrible headache and nausea, but in complete awe of the miracle of this body. Theologians for a time used to argue for God. One of the major ways to argue for God was based on the design of the world. The world has its flaws, of course, illness, drought, instincts to violence. But I can see how one look at the human eye or the heart, one whiff of any sense that we now know, but maybe they had a sense of, of the thousands of adjustments the body will make and the things it will do to heal itself. It does seem like the work of a genius beyond imagination. And I don't believe that. I think evolution is the miracle at work. I don't think a great watchmaker in the sky has created us, but I see why people went there. There is, no matter how you hold it, a holiness and a sacrality to the human body. Sacredness is this word I don't think we use as much anymore. Maybe it's shorter in supply. The minute we make everything commodifiable, maybe nothing seems like it can be literally sacred or it's harder to hang on to it. Sacred for me are those things that are not just that I know are true, not just that I know are good, but something more, something so precious that I feel reverence toward them and a sense of dedication and a willingness even to sacrifice things that are so dear to me, to you. You must know them in your mind and heart that you won't easily surrender because the whole world seems defiled when we let them go. They're what drives Wayne in his Buddhist teachings and philosophy, his commitment to nonviolence, to sacrifice his time. You should read about the work he's been doing. We'll link to some of the articles about it and risk jail to rescue the animals. Some of them in the stories, chickens crushed in cages so low they can't stand. Animals sick and left to die. One prosecutor comparing them to dented cans. They might be broken, but you're not allowed to steal them from the store. And Wayne said, are they dented cans, these lives? Our bodies, all bodies, like the teachings in Kabbalistic Judaism and in the Quran are sacred. However we describe or come to that, don't we know them that way? And they are so for so many reasons, right? They are our fleshy companions that allow us to live and to serve and to gather wisdom and to co-create goodness and to live mercy, love as a verb is only lived through bodies, right? And all of that, they're sacred for all of these reasons because of what they teach us. 
as we live in them and through them in the world. But there's this other additional piece to it that I've been thinking about a lot this week and last. How they are sacred more than anything else, I think, because of the way they connect us to each other. Poet Jenny Cousins writes, the way toward each other is through our bodies. Words are the longest distance you can travel, so complex and hazardous, you lose your direction. Bodies connect us, right? Hear a person crying and you are immediately drawn to minister to them because your heart contracts. Here's someone laughing, uproariously laughing, and I challenge you not to have a smile come across your face. See a wound on an image on the computer screen and you cringe and shut your eyes because you feel the pain instinctively that you imagine they feel. We know so much about us as the same, so much of the call to care through our bodies. To lose that, to get alienated from that, to diminish them, to subjugate them, to ignore them, to treat them like machines as we're often instructed to and encouraged to by cultural messages or commodities is to risk losing the best of our humanity and the best and clearest portal to the most intimate parts of one another, to be spiritually in danger. The way toward each other, as the poet rightly said, is through our bodies. It's why, I think, why, part of why for sure, why we worry about people in Gaza, but why in particular, I don't know about you, but hearing about people who have no water or no anesthesia in their surgeries, why that immediately moves us to advocate for humanitarian aid, to feel the need, why the stories, the intimate descriptive stories of the horrid and vivid loss, murder, defilement of life on October 7th, why that curls our stomach and curdles what's in it and we close our eyes as we listen to it because we cannot we cannot not feel the horror and connection and obligation to minister to people who have gone through that and be in solidarity with them too we know we know in those moments because our sorrow, as Naomi Shihab Nye, the Arab-American poet I quoted from last, year, last week, our sorrow catches the thread of all sorrow, and it does through, through our bodies. So if the medieval monks who tore open their backs with cat and nine tails thought that was the way to God, I think that they were missing, that the way to God was better sought through the invitations and the befriending of their bodies. Like Audre Lorde in her famous writing on the power of the erotic, 
that piece that calls us to the part of human experience that is about connecting with deep satisfaction and joy wherever we find it, and feeling how that calls us to seek deep satisfaction and joy with creative engagement with the world and with our whole lives being accountable to creating that for others. Something our bodies lead us to. Something holy. So yes, we in our religious and spiritual lives, we rise in praise of bodies. We bow as priests and priestesses and keepers of these fleshy temples, others and our own, sacred sources of joy, portals to deepest knowing, and what calls us into sacrificial service to. All mediated through this mess of bone and blood and organ, this miracle. Bless us all, then, in the work to stay alive and awake to our own bodies, to all they invite us into, and how they call us out of ourselves to serve one another. May it be so. We are going to sing, with Mark helping us, a hymn that in Reiko's mm, two-plus decades of being here, she keeps a hymnal that marks every hymn we've sung and when we've sung it. We have never sung this hymn. And that's because it's, mm, it's an interesting and wild one, but it has great words, and Mark is sure we can do it. So bring your full self to this moment, folks. Let's rise and sing together.
Let's remain standing. Put down your hymnals. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.